Welcome, everybody, to Inside LAFC, a very special LAFC. You know, we've had some special guests outside of the club the last few weeks. We're going to go in. We're going to go right to the epicenter as uh, Larry Friedman, co-president of the club with John Thornton, will join us. We'll talk about all things we will reminisce and we'll get into. We'll roll up our sleeves a little bit about the future of the club in our post-pandemic reality. There's a lot there. Larry is, uh, is really a remarkable guy. In, uh, in, look, I've worked everywhere and uh, relationships with my superiors, a lot of times you don't see them. I, I've worked at places where I, the, my direct report I saw twice a year. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And as you know, if you go to a game, you'll see Larry making the rounds, talking to everyone. And I really find it, I wonder if there's more than one. I wonder if there is an animatronic Larry Friedman that he hasn't fessed up to. And there's actually two of them because I don't know how he does it on a regular basis. We're lucky to have him and he's just a wonderful guy. And we'll chat with him here shortly. few things wanted to talk about. Uh, recording this after LAFC lost 2-1 to Vancouver. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, I go on Twitter and, and I, I want to see what people are saying. I was glad to see people weren't down about it because there is no reason to panic about this result. Vancouver were a close to fully fit team. They were a hungry team. They are coming off a win. Their playoff, their season is hanging on uh, on the line here. And LAFC was missing six starters, at least five, six or seven guys that would feature. Should have LAFC done better? Absolutely. It was a you know a missed opportunity with the I think both goals very preventable. Uh, again, a new back line. A lot of guys didn't play great, but. Uh, you would have liked to maybe get a point out of that. And they certainly put themselves in position to get it. That said, you now put yourself with five games to go and it's a, they play Portland twice. That's a tough opponent, but it's agreeable run in here. You've got Houston at home. You've got the galaxy at home. I know that's a different situation because the galaxy beat us. They can't beat anyone else, but that's now a game against a team that's down you expect to beat. So LAFC have to make sure in those five games they get those points to finish in the top four. And that's where they are now. And that's a good goal. Finish in the top four and prepare for the postseason. And by then, everyone should be back. And LA, LAFC will be in a situation where you have 20, 22 guys and you pick the best 11. In the game last night, some of the young guys got a chance. And I was truly blown away by the response they had. Bryce Duke, who had his issues, came in and had a really clean game. And I would expect to see him in the starting 11 in one of the next upcoming games here for sure as we await the South American guys to clear their quarantine. I don't think the South American guys are going to play until the October 28th game. Uh, that'll be the soonest. Uh, they will probably be available for selection. Then you had Mahala. Mahala looked amazing. Good decision after good decision. He's going to be, I think he would probably be in the starting 11 in these next couple games. He looks the part. He is puts his head down. He goes from point A to point B quickly. He is brave. I didn't know a lot about Mahala. I've seen him train a few times, but that was truly remarkable. Finally, the LAFC Academy now has two players who've made their professional debut. Eric Duenas. It was a thrill to see him call in. If you hear, heard the broadcast, you could hear how enthusiastic I was because this is the connection to the city. We had Christian Torres, who's from San Bernardino Inland Empire. And that's great because we don't have guys from Southern California. So we had Torres. Duenas, in addition to being 15, at least for a few more days, is from El Monte, East LA, the heart of this club. He grew up. This is a guy who probably was uh, LAFC and nothing. Christian and Tony Leone are the same way. But, you know, this is this is our connection to the city and not to put too much responsibility on young Eric, who looks like. And I spoke to Todd Saldana, Todd Saldana afterwards. And he goes, the great thing about Eric, he doesn't know he's five foot four and he doesn't know he's 140 pounds. He's tough. And it was it, those bright spots to me were the, the talking point, not the loss. To me, and I might be in the minority, but I'm thrilled to have seen that. But don't panic. LAFC now get ready for the Portland Timbers back in Portland where they played Vancouver. And it's going to be a mix as we wait for some of the injuries to get better. Uh, Mark Anthony for a couple more weeks as uh, it was a grade two sprain of the ankle. 
and the guys like Andy Nahar and we don't hear enough about Carlos Vela, but they're going to bring him along real slowly. There's no reason to rush this at this point. You want to make sure he's right. And we'll get more details about that. And Tristan Blackman, we will see. And the, the other four will come back. No uh, indicators that there's any complications with them. Finally, before we get ready for the interview, because uh, you know we took a little bit longer in the interview with uh, Larry, and it's worth it. It's really good stuff. It's coming up. Do want to mention, I know it's a week after, and it happened a week, uh, Eddie Van Halen, uh, to me, the greatest guitar player of all time. Don't at me. I always say this in the debate between Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix made his guitar talk. Eddie Van Halen had a conversation with his guitar. And the reason I bring it up here is he is ours, Los Angeles. He is a Los Angelino. Pasadena High School, growing up in Pasadena, the whole group of Van Halen, obviously Eddie and his brother Alex, Michael Anthony and David Lee Roth all went to school in the San Fernando Valley in, in Pasadena. And they were famously known for having these backyard parties in Pasadena that everyone came out and they redid the music industry. Got to Hollywood, made the Sunset Boulevard their own and the rest is history. So I, I was really devastated to hear Eddie Van Halen, 65 is too young to go. And I know he suffered a lot down the road and I got into Pat Avilis's ear. And if anyone from the 3252 is listening, if we could do an Eddie Van Halen TIFO some point in 2021, I think it's a great idea, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. You guys do a great job on your own. Just a little birdie in your ear. Inside LAFC, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Our interview with co-president of the club, Larry Friedman, is next. Welcome back to Inside LAFC. It is my pleasure to welcome a man who is very well known in the LAFC podcast community, the co-host of Shooting the Shot. He is also the co-president of LAFC, but you know him as the co everyone loves, loves you. Everyone loves Shooting the Shot. Larry Friedman. Larry, did you know Shooting the Shots, number one, the number one podcast in our networks is you and Jordan with Mark Anthony K. the most clicks? I did not know that. Uh, and for all of the, uh, as the defenders of the bank would say, the millions and millions of listeners out there uh, that have been kind enough to listen to episodes that Jordan and I have done, we are going to be coming back. We took a little hiatus, but uh, we have some plans to be back, or as you would say, back in black. Uh, finally, Bernard put that in one of our broadcasts in one of our little montages. I go, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Richard Roscoe's nephew came up to me and he said, uh, you know, I just wanted to ask you about something. I go, um, you would be at the beginning of every broadcast. You go, LAFC is back, back in black. I go, I go, yeah. I goes, that doesn't, that doesn't seem fair. I go, well, I work for LAFC so I can, I goes, oh, yeah, we don't care about the other team. <laughs> but I'll find something clever for the Timbers for the next time. I, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the, what you do in the business and how you got into it. But I, you mentioned defenders of the bank and I wanted to start with the fact that, you know, the defenders of the bank and people sure. in your position generally are focused on the inner workings of the club. Yet you are everywhere and making connections. You you're, this is an audio broadcast. You have your LAFC 3252 shirt on. You have relationships with almost all those supporters. You have relationships with the defenders of the bank. Why is that so important? I know, I know why it's important, but people don't practice it. But you do, Larry. So first, Max, I just want to clear up the implication that perhaps I'm not focused on the inner workings of the business. <laughs> so um, in, case, in case our managing owners are listening, I just want to assure them that I am also focused on uh, the inner workings of the business at the club. But as far as the relationships go, look, um, you mentioned Richard Roscoe and, you know, he and his team coined that expression early that we we're going to build this club by going street by street, block by block, one by one. And and we're going to bring people together and we're going to build a community. We're going to build a club. It's as Bob Bradley always says, you know, Larry, it's not a franchise. It's not a team. It's a club. And so, you know, we announced in October of 2014, Max, we didn't kick until March of 2018. We had a lot of time and we used that time to get out in the community and meet people 
and talk to them and more than anything, listen and ask about them, learn about them. And you can't help but forge bonds and real relationships with people when you see them for beer, drums and songs at a brewery or for a drum session in the parking lot or, you know, a foundation event and, and, and. And I've walked, I've walked the uh, Christmas tree lane uh, pre-match festivities with you. And, you know, it, it does strike me at times that in a 22,000 seat arena that is typically full, you know, you and I know a lot of people, you know, you walk the halls, you're going up and down the stairs, you get in an elevator, a couple other people get in and invariably it's like, Hey, how you doing? So, um, and I just think that's a key component. It's a foundational element of our club is that this is, everybody is in it. We co-create, whether it's the North End, the Heineken Supporters Bar, um, we're in this together. And if we're truly in it together, we have to know one another. Larry, I just want to applaud you. And if the owners are listening, the reason I bring that up, because I always tell people when they get in my into what I want to do, I say, the key is if you're in a room and you see people, you don't know them, introduce yourself, introduce yourself until you, you can't introduce yourself anymore. And it's, it's right. super important. I, I don't think pe people do that enough. And I, and I see it with you. And I mentioned that about the supporters, but then I'll talk to Paul Apodaca and I go, I just saw Larry. And then I'll see the owners and go, yeah, Larry was just here. And then I'll be calling the game and Bernard Worrell's, Bernard Worrell would say, I just got off the phone with Larry. I go, Larry, he's everywhere. And I, there's, well, there's I just want, I, I want to share with you a fun fact. So, you know, at times people have said, tell me something about what you do that would surprise me. And I like to use the answer that when we play a home match, I don't sit in a seat and watch it. I, I am that. going from space to space to space to space. And, you know, outside of the current situation, as you do that, you know, you're walking through the Heineken bar on the supporter, you know, behind the supporter section or going through the fig club or heading up to the broadcast level, you know, say hello to the folks who are doing a national broadcast or your plus one, uh, bump into Bernard, go into the booth and see Al, um, you know, that I love to do that. And I think it's important because ultimately I need to know what's going on throughout the building on a match day or an event day. And I, I would say to the point that no one knows more about the club as a result as you. And it's you also hear firsthand if like people are happy to go, hey, it's great. But they'll probably tell you, hey, I wish this was this. And you hear that and you put it into the database, which helps the club in the big picture, because you can certainly reference those points. Absolutely. Look, when when my phone rings and it tells me that it's Julio Ramos from the District 9 Ultras, the Chiva Mayor. I know he's calling me because he's got something on his mind and I am happy to listen. And if there's something that we need to do, we need to do better, we need to change something, we're gonna do that. Just to, to show what Larry, the, the fabric that Larry is, we were up at, you mentioned the plus ones and you, you heard that Stu Holden's daughter was kind of a fan, you brought her, what was it a hat or a, a, a jersey? No, a jersey. She, yeah. she was showing off her jersey collection on social media, and there was uh, a beautiful world-class jersey that was conspicuous by its absence. So we needed to get her in the black and gold. The set is complete. Yes. But we can actually now begin this interview, but I did okay. get a lot of... <laughs> okay, we're going to roll tape now. Yeah, we roll tape. We were rolling. But look, I wanted to get, because Larry, you're, you're a fascinating figure because of what we just talked about and how you handle it. And I've worked in lots of places and I've had closed relationships with, with my superiors, which I've never really enjoyed. I think you've got to have that flow. And I'm eternally grateful that here in LAFC, uh, I listen and that rubs off on me because I've developed relationships with supporters, talking to you and Rich and everyone involved with the club. And that has made my job easier 
and more fulfilling. So that is, I think, the way we all should be. And I appreciate that the club leads about that way. Now, I, I did want to start with you sure. about getting into sports. What, how did you get here? What was, what was when you're growing up in Chicago saying, okay, I want, this is what I want to do? So that's a funny question because there was a point in time. I loved basketball as a kid. Loved the old pre-Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. And one of my idols as a kid was Storm and Norman Van Leer, who was a point guard on the Bulls. And my father was about six foot one. And I just assumed I would be six foot one or taller. And I had my eyes on succeeding Norm <laughs> as the, the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, hopefully a lot of the people who are listening to this uh, have met me in person or seen me and they know that I'm definitely not six feet tall. So, you know, Do you have a good handle. Do you have a good handle. If we, if we went to the courts, sure. or, all right. but I could only really go to my right. Um, and good to know if we ever play figured that out, I was done. <laughs> but so, you know, my, my, my plans for working in sports kind of started and ended with, well, I want to be the starting point guard on the Bulls, but that's not going to happen. And then, unfortunately, the height also kind of got the better of me uh, in my pursuit of a role as a starting goalkeeper uh, in the old North American Soccer League, which is what I aspired to Cosmo, Chicago Sting, Minnesota Kicks, San Diego Soccer. Um, so I didn't really think once those dreams met reality that there was really life in sports. I never thought about how do all these mm. people get here? How do they get it on TV? Who's serving the food? Who's selling the merchandise? All that good stuff. So it was more happenstance. A great, great friend of mine by the name of David Roan, who at the time was an executive at Fox Sports here in LA, uh, then went on to build the sporting business at CAA uh, with a great friend, Howie Newchow. And then David started Time Warner Sports, did the deal for the Lakers Network, uh, the Dodgers Network. David introduced me to a guy by the name of Howie Newchow, who at the time was the president of a company called Mandalay Baseball Properties, course, which yes. was owned by Peter Goober and his longtime partner in the movie business and other things, Paul Schaefer. And the next thing I know, I'm packing up uh, the family, moving from Chicago to LA, and I'm in the minor league baseball business. So it was more happenstance than anything. And it hit me at a point in my career where I had done some things in the technology business with some internet companies and the notion hits me at 40 some odd years old. Well, wait a minute. You could you kind of marry your career with something that you're passionate about. Whoever knew. You mentioned about those things that uh, because your day to day, there's sports. You get to watch sports. You get to be part of all of that. But a part of it is the minutia, those things that you have to do. And uh, but you still bring a lot of joy to those things, knowing that it's part of the big picture. All those little details about running a club. You have to, you enjoy that. Oh, I love it. I love it. But it, it, and, and what makes it fun and special and rewarding is that, for example, when we enter into a partnership with a YouTube TV to be on the Jersey or a target to be the sleeve patch partner or a Heineken to be our beer partner, we have been pretty intentional about its relationships, not transactions. That, that is Peter Goober all day. It's relationships, not transactions. So we end up not in situations where, you know, we hang a sign and we put a name in a game day program and we call that a partnership. We're really together with people. You see that with the Bank of California, with our financial literacy program in the community. You see that with other partners, the way we activate in the community. Delta Airlines, Paul Ruiz, and the youth leadership program at Brazil. And so it's so much more than 
the transactional pieces, you end up with these great relationships with people that you really get to know, you get to care about them. They're helping us, we're helping them. And together we're lifting the community. So it could be mundane, but we make it more than that. And that's incredible advice. And I have felt it firsthand, Larry, you know, this past weekend, Farmer John, a partner of LAFC, and they approached me and we had our family. We cooked a, a holiday ham. And I said, I, and I've worked everywhere and I've never had that connection with the, the sponsors, the partners, which we call them the partners. And it feels like that there's a partnership. Yeah. And, and I, I know the partners because I've had the conversations on, on the side. They feel it. They feel they're part of the club. And that makes a huge difference because I've been to places where they just, you're like, pop Delta on the board. Hey, we're Delta sponsor. And that's the end of it. And that's, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, but a lot of people haven't discovered that yet. Right. Absolutely. So I, I was going to ask you, I mean, and Peter, obviously when you went from the minor leagues and he said, this is, a, this is the guy I want to help kind of push this forward. And this was a different animal because of everything that LAFC entails and the big sponsor, nothing, not to take anything about the minor league baseball, but sure. this LAFC has come in with a huge way, but you obviously looked and learned on the job, but is there some executives in other walks of life that you looked at and were inspired by, or were said, I get this guy. I want to take a little bit of what I learned from him into what I do on my day to day. Absolutely. Um, there are a few, look, Peter goes without saying Peter is um, one of the most creative, brilliant, very people. funny guy too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and a wonderful guy just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful human being and has been a great partner, mentor um, of mine and a supporter of mine. And I owe him a lot. And with him, Howie Newchow, who now oversees uh, all of the sports business at Creative Artist Agency, CAA, um, learned a lot from Howie in our time together. Um, in the minor league baseball business, we are fortunate enough to have two joint ventures with the New York Yankees, where I first met LAFC assistant general manager, then director of pro scouting, Will Coombs. And Lon Trost, who is the COO of the New York Yankees, longtime executive with the Yankees, worked for George Steinbrenner, now works for um, his son, but a super creative thinker, super hardworking guy, at Mandalay Baseball Properties had the privilege, really, of working with John Spolstra, who is the father of Eric, yeah. the uh, NBA Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat, um, has also put some rings on his finger along the way. But John, you know, basically rewrote the rules for ticket sales and partnership sales. There was a time where you could not walk into the office of a ticket sales team in professional sports and not find a photocopied bootlegged uh, copy of John's book, uh, Last Seat in the House. So that was a, a tremendous experience. Should I read that? I should read that. It's good fun. Yeah. Good. You know, a lot of it still holds true for sure. I'm actually starting to read a lot more. I'm happy to see. I'm actually tackling the science fiction epic Dune. I'm 350 pages into it. I <laughs> saw the movie. Yeah. One, <laughs> it's amazing. I'll give you. I'll give you the the cliff notes when we're done. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I I tried that decades ago, and you know, got 20 pages in and gave up. I wouldn't have been able to read it 20 years ago. Uh, we've touched on some of these things, but and again, because you're you're everywhere with the club, but your favorite your favorite things, the favorite sure. things you do within the club. Sure. That you may miss a little, that you may not be able to do as much right now in 2020 yeah. that you miss, but those things that you do on a regular basis. Sure. So I think number one, and we touched on it, it's the people, right? And it's our fans, our ardent supporters, players, technical staff, you know, our leadership and ownership, the staff, everybody. And, you know, I like, I spend my days not unlike I spend match days at the bank walking around, you know, there's those. And what I really miss are kind of those casual interactions where, you know, there is uh, one of the leaders on our ticket service team, Max K, one of the other many Maxes we have in the organization. I believe we have five. 
Yeah, at least. And yes. and for all the listeners out there, I know you might be surprised by this, but at our holiday party at the end of 2019, Max Bratos did not win the best Max Award. There so was maybe no in 2020, best. Max. Maybe in 2020. There is nothing I want more than to win know, that award. Right? You know that. All pinnacle, right. <laughs> pinnacle of your career. But uh, Max K and I have a running joke that you know, invariably I get up to go to the men's room and he's either getting up to go or coming back. And we bump into each other like all day, every day. Um, Alex Alugas and I, who is also one of the leaders on our ticket service team, have a thing about she wears black pants. It's black pants. And when I wear black pants, I try and let her know that I'm in it with her. Um, So it's the people. And you know, another thing that has been super rewarding and makes this job incredible and awesome is the impact, right? You see how this community has come together. Uh, we talked about it being more than, you know, LAFC has always aspired to be, sorry, Bob Bradley, soccer and more or football and more. And to see that we're actually doing that and through the community we've built, whether it's supporter groups on their own, doing backpack drives or making sandwiches for people who need some help, uh, or what we do with a blood drive or a food giveaway. Um, and just as we talk about, you know, making people happy, bringing joy to people and doing good works in the community through the foundation with Alina and James or through our community relations department with Ida and Courtney. Um, It's so meaningful to to see that. So that would be number two. And then number three is, you know, as a bit of a, I'm an elder statesman in the club, right? So Bob Bradley and I are, you know, a bit older than the rest of the crew, right? Um, You think about not only the great memories and that have been created in our short history, right? Whether it's the night we clinched the supporter shield or the Saman goal. Sorry, Slim Coda. Um, I had to bring up Saman. Um, and Slim Coda. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, or, or a late game winner by Walker or Dio almost single-handedly taking the team on his back and vanquishing the Galaxy in that playoff game. Um, You know, all of those memories are just incredible because we could sit and talk about that, you know, two and a half seasons in and you and I could talk all day about, hey, do you remember that? Do you remember that? Oh, my God. What about this? What about Iron Maiden at Bank of California Stadium? And then, you know, for me to be a part of something like this, that, you know, when we think about our friends at, at Borussia Dortmund and BVB being a club since 1909, Uh, and the aforementioned Julio Ramos talking about how this club is important to him because when someone asks his children's children, why do you support LAFC? His grandchild will say, because my grandfather helped build this club. Yeah. And so to know that, you know, way out there down the road, um, you know, when I'm sitting in the home, on the veranda with a blanket on my lap, um, maybe remembering my name or not, this club will carry on and will continue to be an important presence and force in LA. And will be a great feeling for you and Julio and myself to say that we were there at the beginning. And that's, absolutely, that's man. there's a lot there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, you bring up Bob and you know, Bob, uh, it, has a certain way he's wonderful he always gives us time but you have a unique rela- relationship with him and you i mean how frequently you're with you're speaking with bob about all a, a variety of topics yeah well the the great thing about my my friendship with bob is you know for a brief period of time when bob first joined the club he was in an office with us and it was like a he's, he was like a caged tiger Like the last place that Bob wants to be is in an office talking on the phone, right? He wants to be out on the pitch, you know, coordinating beautiful football. So one of the first things we bonded over was our mutual admiration for Bruce Springsteen. 
Uh, in fairness, he is a much bigger fan, but <laughs> I, you know, um, I am also a big fan and I forget we, he joined the club in 2017 and Springsteen was playing on Broadway and, you know, I had bought a couple of tickets to this show in New York thinking that, well, maybe I'll get out there. And, and my family had pushed me like, you got to go, you got to go. And, you know, Bob and I ended up meeting in New York and, and going together um, to share in some great music. And we also early on went to the Orpheum theater together Nice. and saw a little Steven uh, Bruce's guitar player, also known as Silvio Dante on the Sopranos. Oh, the Sopranos, yeah. Um, we went to see Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul at the Orpheum Theater, and so you know it's it's almost like the the last thing that we would ever talk about is LAFC football. It's family. Um, our wives are friends. Um, you know, always interested in what's going on with the extended Bradley clan. And, you know, he's just a great guy, an absolute great guy. And that's one of these great things about the way this club was built and that John Thorrington bought into from day one and that Bob bought into from day one is that there is no wall, there is no boundary. We're doing this together. We support each other. We help each other. And we get to know each other. And there is no wall. In everything I've done, obviously we can't be at the performance center, but every time we would get there, there was access and open conversations. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the media, I'm the evil, the evil media, and they've never viewed me, and it's been wonderful. But I, I got a rise out of Bob when Danzig performed at Bank of California Stadium. And I just mentioned, it was a joke, and it backfired. I go, Danzig, best, best band to ever come out of New Jersey. And <laughs> his head spun. I go, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, Larry, obviously, at the beginning of 2020, we went through this seismic change. Yes. With uh, with COVID and everything you did, everything I did, everything, everyone within the club changed very abruptly. I will say, I, I remember the meetings we had, and there was a, a comfort in keeping everyone together with our Zoom calls, saying, we're, "Let's keep working to what we're doing," and we've really maintained that. And, and I know that's very difficult, and you guys deserve a lot of credit. But when, when we were going through the changes here due to COVID, you saw the scope of what this was. What went through your mind on how to approach your day-to-day -day with the club? Yeah, so, you know, first you try not to cry. You tell yourself to take a bunch of deep breaths. And then you say, we can do this. We're going to figure this out. And whether it's, you know, it's, you look back on it, Max, I don't think any of us thought that we would still be hmm. in this situation seven going on eight months later. And, you know, we have a lot of incredibly smart, creative thinkers in our club. And it was really immediately all hands on deck to think about, all right, we know what we can't do. So let's start thinking about what we can do. And, you know, we saw an extended example of that, that you were involved in the other day, which was the uh, FIFA get out the vote event that young Alex sale. He's, you know, something, that, he's something that Alex and look, Alex, very early in COVID, pivoted to, you know, we can take what we do with Remy Martin and his participation in EMLS and without games and without anything else to bring our community together around the beautiful game, we can go virtual. And that was Alex. And there was some headwind internally um, that he had a fight through to make that happen. But the next thing you know, you and Rogo and Bernard and Uli are producing these EMLS friendlies with Remy and Dio and other clubs and Chicharito. 
you know, this is getting produced like a real game. And there's a pregame show and there's interviews and there's highlights and it's on the Twitch platform. And at different times, we had outrageous numbers of viewers all over the world. And it's that, that's just one example of how somebody inside the club said, all right, look, this is the, this is the hand we were dealt. We, we, we do not have a choice where we walk away from the table. Mm-hmm. We have to play this hand to the best of our ability. And so whether it's Kristen Kuhn and her team working with our partners to come up with new and different ways to, you know, work with them when we can't have a match day experience and we're not going to have fan fest and activations on the Northwest Plaza at Bank of California Stadium. You know, everybody has tried to adapt and do the best we can. And, you know, from that, you see, you know, one LAFC partner joining forces with another LAFC partner to do something good out in the community to help people who are having a hard go of it and, and, and. So um, incredibly proud of the work that everybody has put in because at no point has anybody in any group, whether it's our ticketing folks, our partnership folks, our uh, PR folks, nobody has given up. Everybody keeps coming with, hey, you know, maybe we should try this. Have we thought about that? And, you know, truly, it's, it's not a cliche. In a time like this, Max, there are no bad ideas. No bad ideas. We'll, we'll consider anything. <laughs> and it's true, and they've executed. And I had my doubts about the gaming, but I was the first one when Remy and Dio won in March and April, you know, pumping my fist and go, that's something, because it was nothing. People's minds were, you know, people were, were so far away. I, I it's that seems so far away now, but yeah, still really etched. And you know, and I saw that with Kristen. And look, numbers for sports are going down across the board. You know, the NBA finals was like 50, 60 percent down. Everything's down because people yeah. are thinking about other things. But as a sports franchise, you've got to stay engaged. And you know, I know the ticket folks, because there's no tickets to sell, there's no fans at the stadium but they're staying engaged with the supporters constantly. And that's got to be a, a difficult part as well of the job. Absolutely. Look, um, there's been a lot of uncertainty. Again, you go back to March, we called off our first leg with Cruz Azul, essentially at the last minute. I had my ticket booked for Mexico yeah. city. It was there. Yeah. I had to, I had to get on the phone and yeah. cancel that. Right. And, 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 you know, so, there there and then it was well when are we going to be back and i think the notion of a socially distant seating bowl was not something that anybody was thinking about when this first happened it was kind of like oh we'll be back and we'll be back it'll be normal and the thought of playing in front of no fans was not part of it and then as things have evolved so you know our our ticketing group led by brendan boyle has been very good about regular communication with our ticket holders as things have developed and changed. And, you know, there, there is an impact on season memberships when we go into the bubble and we know that three of those games are going to count as regular season games. So, you know, the, a reality of that was that our number of home matches, even if we were able to come back with fans when we returned to home markets, there were going to be fewer than 17. So it's been an iterative process. And, you know, those, those folks have, you know, not stopped working either. And again, there are relationships there, just like we have relationships with our partners. You know, we don't just sell you a ticket and then turn and walk away and say, you're all set, Max. See you later. Supporters, when I spoke with them about this this process and when especially when games started coming back and it was like, well, you're, you're having games without us. It's not right. And it isn't right. And this and long term, this sport will not MLS will not exist if they're in empty stadiums. It just can't. Right. Uh, there's so much important about it. But have, did you have some conversations with them about I'm sure it's because this is their daily routine. They live in the three years, they live, breathe LAFC. But those conversations where you have to say, hey, look, 
It's not coming back. Now we know it's not coming back for the, for a, a bit here. When it does, that'll be a great day and when fans get to go in there. But knowing that the games had to go on without them, without the TIFOs, without uh, the jump for LA football club. And, and that's a bitter pill to swallow for those, for our supporters. Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's, it's a bitter pill for everyone in the 3252. I think it's a bitter pill for our season members. And it's a bitter pill for anybody who, you know, whether it's one game a season, three games a season, or every game, um, you know, people who have enjoyed the experience and want to enjoy it again, you're disconnected from it. And that's difficult. And, you know, I've talked to a bunch of folks, you know, whether it's text on DMs on social media or telephone calls, you know, Jimmy, Mo, Slim Coda, the great Josh, Josh Sexy Spice, you know, and then beyond the supporters, um, you know, the defenders, Vince, talk to Vince, my family misses the bank, our owners miss going to the bank. Um, it's hard. And, and, and I remember, you know, our first game when we returned to home markets was against the Galaxy. And I got a text in the middle of the day. <laughs> yes. In the burning sun for a national TV window. Um, I got a text from Kristen Kuhn saying, how's the vibe in the stadium? <laughs> and you've been there, Max. My response was vibe. There is no vibe. And that's what's tough because for as unbelievable a job as Al rate with some assistance from Patrick Avilas and others, the soundtrack that they have put together, if you close your eyes, it feels real because they've worked with the 3252 on the sequence of the chance. They've pulled sound from actual matches. Um, there's correspondence that goes on during the course of a match where, depending on the way play is going, um, you know, the capos would shift from the normal script to do a particular chant to match the moment. That's all that's great. Awesome. But the minute, the minute you open your eyes hmm. and you realize that there are no more than 300 human beings, including both rosters, coaching and technical staffs in that building. And the seats are covered with tarps. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. But you know, there have been, um, I know the D nine U. um, after some tough losses has found a spot in the parking lot across from the Northeast gate at the stadium to congregate on match days because, you know, in their words, the team needs us and they stand six feet apart and they do their thing and you can hear them. I've been in the stadium a couple of times to call games and you can feel it. it's sad. The stadium miss it's, it's just quiet and the games go on. You can just feel it. it like if you close your eyes, how, how it misses uh, its tenants, but uh, hopefully no soon enough will be back. I have a couple more quick questions or sure. as, sure. as long as, as you want, uh, Larry, another thing, another stream that's been affected certainly by uh, COVID is uh, the players. And this was, you know, talking to John and Bob is to be a buying selling club. And they've I've got these guys from South America and without COVID and there's more money in soccer from these European clubs, there's probably these offers for these guys that LAFC would probably listen to, but that whole concept. Uh, and when that apparatus starts working in the way for the LAFC, uh, how has that been? What kind of priority is that for the club where they've had this, this conveyor belt of talent now, which is still with LAC and they're all doing well uh, the, about the big picture of, of that working as another stream for the club. Sure. No, look, I think that it's part of the global football community that this is how it goes. You know, young talent shows itself, garners interest somewhere else. And that results in a player getting sold on. And John and Bob and our ownership made a conscious decision 
from day one that we were not going to be a club that goes out and perpetuates the notion that MLS is a retirement league and that we would go sign someone who's on, you know, the back nine of his career. And that would be the end of it instead. Um, you know, and this is also something that MLS's own internal research had showed that what the ardent supporters of MLS as MLS was maturing as a league into its 20th anniversary and now it's 25th anniversary that the, the fans who tuned in and showed up on match days wanted to see young, exciting players. And, you know, even with an Andre Horta, right. Where we had a young, exciting player that everybody thought really could develop into a star and it didn't work. I think we would all agree that we'd rather see that than, and look, Wayne Rooney is an unbelievable player and he had some unbelievable moments that will be on MLS highlight reels for eternity. But would we have rather have had Wayne Rooney for two seasons and then he just goes on or have the experience of taking a chance on a young up and comer from Portugal like Andre Horta. And I, I think our community would be pretty unanimous or close that we want to see Andre Horta because for every Andre Horta, you know, there's going to be, we've got Edward, Diego, Brian, Cheeky, Cifuentes, and, 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 and that's awesome. And look, it's no different than uh, in some ways the way we think about our staff, right? You've been a around for a long, long time, Mac. Think of all of the great, super smart, super talented, high character, great people that we've had on our team. You know, you take somebody like Cam Florence, who was a star on our, our premium sales team from the beginning. And essentially Cam sold himself out of a job because the premium was all sold. He went on to the project in Inglewood at SoFi and did a great job. And now you know where he is? He's the VP of ticket sales at the Washington Wizards. And we look at that and say, that's friggin' awesome. It was great that he was part of our club and made that contribution, but now we all admire from afar how he's gone on to do bigger, better things. And, you know, it's a similar thing. You know, at some point, we're going to have that heartbreaking moment where, you know, one of our young stars that's just doing tremendous things for us on the pitch is going to get sold on and it's going to be a bummer. But then we're going to watch him in, you know, the Bundesliga or champion, you know, wherever. And we're going to be like, hey, and you remember you're, that? Yeah. And you're going to hear the announcer say there is so-and-so who just joined the club from LAFC. Right. And we're like, whoa. Right. It's, it's an incredible development. The, the, the quartet that played or went to South America. South America is the most competitive World Cup qualifying, because you have 10 teams. There's not much separating. It's Europe. You're, if you're England, you play San Marino, and it's all out of whack. But these 10 teams are powerhouses. Brian Rodriguez started both games for Uruguay. Diego Rossi didn't play, but they gave him the number 11 shirt, which is no minor detail. Cheeky came on for a little bit, and Sifu was also on the bench. That's, a, that's not many people can say that. And, and now we have the academy churning out. Eric Duenas of El Monte, California, coming on right. and playing. It's fantastic. Final question, Larry. Yes, sir. Uh, we have gone through a couple lifetimes in our three years as LAFC. <laughs> you put all of that in. I mean, the good and the bad we've had, with, obviously, with COVID now. Where do we aspire to be as a club moving forward? So I have – there's two elements to the answer. So we want to be a recognizable – 
Global Football Club. I, I will always remember early, early days with Henry Nguyen, the, you know, one of the founding owners, the original managing owner. And Henry would always talk about how he was living in Vietnam. He could be out at a sports bar and ask people, hey, do you know who the New York Knicks are? And they would say no. Do you know who the Detroit Red Wings are? And they would say no. And he'd say, do you know the LA Galaxy? And they perk up and say, oh yeah, that's Beckham's team. David Beckham. For sure, right? So there's that element of we want to be recognized as a football club around the world. And, and whatever it is that, whether it's Carlos Vela, where people say, oh, that's Vela's team, or because we end up with players like Brian and Diego and others going on to do great things for their national teams or playing uh, in the premiership or wherever. Uh, we definitely, we want to be a part of that conversation. And as an organization, early days, pre-Max Bretos, we talked about and we continue to talk about where do we want to be just as an organization, put aside the football. We want to be in the conversation when people talk about great organizations. And, you know, I think in sports, people talk about the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors. Um, in business, I don't, you know, is it Google? Is it Disney? Um, you know, we want to be in that conversation. So we want to be a globally recognized football club that is also recognized in as, as an organization that operates at the highest level and is a place where people want to work and they want to be a part of it. It's a wonderful place to work. I've known that for these, these three years, three wonderful years for me and my family. We appreciate being part and appreciate working shoulder to shoulder alongside you, Larry. And oh, likewise, Max Bratos, likewise. And I appreciate your time. Sure. Uh, I know a little longer, but this was really fun. No worries, man. And I know the listeners would love to hear it. All right. A reminder, everyone, please subscribe, rate, and review Inside LFC, and look out for Larry and Jordan very soon for shooting the shot. It's coming back. Have a great Thanks day, Thanks for everyone. the plug. Take care, Max. <laughs> for sure. See you, Larry.